particular emphasis on prayer for needs of the body and needs outside the church. I um, just want to remind you of the Women's Fellowship this Saturday at 11 a.m. That's the Women's Fellowship this Saturday at 11 a.m. And then grace groups are resuming this week, so don't forget your grace group, whether it's meeting on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Thursday night. And if you still need to find a grace group, speak to myself or any of the elders would be happy to plug you into a grace group. Um, but let's jump straight into our scripture reading for tonight, which is Psalm 122. Our brother Doug will be preaching from this text in a moment. Psalm 122. This is one of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 122, we'll read all nine verses. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's now come before our Lord in a prayer of thanksgiving. Well, you should be in Psalm 122. And I want to jump right into this for time's sake. But last Saturday, as anyone who is alert is aware that the terrorist group Hamas unleashed horrible violence on Israel... Uh, resulting in thousands of people being killed, both in Israel and in Gaza. And I think as of today, almost 10,000 people who have been severely injured. And with the outbreak of this war has come a huge wave of prophecy pundits telling us that this might very well be a sign that the rapture and the subsequent Great Tribulation is, is near. And I have really been disturbed this week by samples of what I would call sensational and erroneous teaching. And I don't mean that from uh, the, the wacko end of evangelicalism. But there have been a lot of stuff on social media that um, tells me that uh, Christians are rather confused about um, what our relationship is, should be, to, to Israel. And judging from the thousands of views and likes that the many positive comments on a lot of these sermons, it has shown me that there's a lack of, of knowledge, but also a lack of love. In one uh, well-known church, uh, the pastor was saying, this is, uh, Jerusalem's being surrounded, and this very well may be uh, the mark of the end and the return of Christ. And everyone began to applaud, and it just seemed to me very, very out of place that you have babies that are being beheaded, you are having women who are being raped, you are having families who are being destroyed, and yet Christians are applauding. And so as I was given this opportunity tonight to preach, uh, Anton was actually supposed to preach, but um, 
the wimp is at home. <laughs> he had, no, he had surgery on Friday, so I said I would, I would step in the gap. One of the phrases that I've heard over and over again this week is this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, from Psalm 122 and verse 6. And tonight I want to help us to understand the context of that and what indeed we are supposed to be praying for in this time of horrific war in the, in the Middle East, in the Ukraine, and other parts of the world. Psalm 122, where that phrase is found in verse 6, that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, is, as Stephen said, is a psalm of ascent. And there are 15 of those that begin in Psalm 120. They go through Psalm 134. And as God's people march to Zion, they literally are going to be singing about the destination that they're going to. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 122, speak about this glad destination. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Well, the, the house of the Lord is in Jerusalem, so therefore this is a glad destination for God's people. And as they're marching to Zion, quite literally, for these festivals, they are realizing that they're coming to the city of God. They're coming to the city where God's throne is, where God's house is, the temple. And in verses 3 and 5, we have a very glorious description of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. The mention of the word throne speaks of a majestic stability, it speaks in the psalm about Jerusalem being a stable place, to being a fortress, being safe. And the word throne speaks of a majestic stability. But it also speaks in verse 5 about righteousness, about, about judgments, which is a word for righteousness. The thrones for judgment. So there is justice here in the city of Jerusalem because it is God's throne room. In the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. Over that was the mercy seat, which was seen as God's throne. So it was a glorious description of this city. And then we're exhorted for this very good supplication in verses 6 to 9. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And we have to ask what's at stake in this um, supplication for peace. Why is there such concern over the welfare of Jerusalem? Well, for one thing, he says in verse 6, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And in other words, if Jerusalem is experiencing welfare, so will those who love Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is a place of great blessing, then those who love Jerusalem will be blessed. And most likely that's a reference to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you will be cursed. We'll come back to that in a moment. Secondly, the supplication to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is so important, as I mentioned, because of what is housed in Jerusalem, the house of the Lord. He says in verse 9, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, 
I will seek your good. I will seek the good of Jerusalem. And so the reason the psalmist exhorts that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem is because Jerusalem is the city of God. Keep that in mind. It's the city of God. So the question we have to ask and biblically answer in our times is, does this psalm and its supplication relate to you and I who live under the new covenant? In other words, is Jerusalem still the city of God? And if it's not, do we just take the psalm out of our Bibles? Well, number one, no. Jerusalem today, geopolitical Israel, Jerusalem is not the city of God. But number two, we don't take this out of our Bibles because there is a new Jerusalem. That new Jerusalem is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The new covenant church is the Israel of God. Paul said that in Galatians 6 and verse 16. And therefore, the focus of our lives is going to be on the the capital of this Israel of God, the new Jerusalem, the new covenant city of God, the church of the Son of God, the church of the true and full Son of David. He speaks about the throne of David. He speaks about David in the psalm. I heard one well-known evangelical preacher who's well-known for his prophecy preaching. And he's a solid guy who preaches the gospel. But he was saying this week that if these things all happen, one day David is going to sit next to Jesus as the vice regent of Jerusalem. And I just lamented as I heard that, and I thought there's nothing in the Bible about that. Jesus Christ is the true David. He's the one who is sitting on the throne of the new Jerusalem, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, as it were, is a divine city-state And we should pray for her welfare. When we pray for Jerusalem, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When we pray for the shalom of Jerusalem, when we pray for the well-being of Jerusalem, we are praying for the well-being of the church of God. Amid the horrific war and the horrific violence and the atrocities in Israel and in Gaza, We are to pray for the church that is there. I sent out an email to a network of about 200 pastors this week, and I said, does anybody know of a church in Gaza? Radio silence. But that doesn't mean there's not Christians there. In fact, in my research, there's some 52,000 professing Christians in Gaza. If we're going to pray Psalm 122, verse 6, which we should, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the welfare of the city of God, then we need to be praying for believers in Gaza and praying for believers who are in Israel. I... um, listened to snippets of various sermons this week, and one popular preacher decried the very thing that I'm preaching tonight. He calls it replacement theology. And he says that there are those who teach that the church has replaced Israel. I don't teach that. 
I don't teach that the church has replaced Israel. I teach that the promises to Israel were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and by extension, they're fulfilled in the body of Christ, the church. The Bible teaches that. Like it or not, the new covenant church is the Israel of God. That's what the Bible says. Why is that important? It's important because once we understand this, then we'll stop focusing on Israel and we'll start focusing on the church and its well-being. Once we understand this, we're going to more carefully listen to what Jesus actually said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. We're going to pay more attention to what he revealed to the Apostle John in the book of the Revelation. And when Jesus spoke those words of prophecy, he spoke about geopolitical, geographic city of Jerusalem that would be destroyed. And that when it is, and it's going to be destroyed because the temple needed to be destroyed because there's a new temple, it's the church of God. I've heard over and over again this week, people quoting Luke 21.20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. And I've heard all these applause to that. And, it's grieved, and it grieves me because that's an erroneous interpretation of that text. Jesus said to the first century Jews, the first century church, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the army, look up, your redemption draws nigh, and it had nothing to do with the rapture. It had everything to do with, look up, your freedom is near, get out of town. Before Jerusalem was destroyed, Jesus was warning the first century church in Jerusalem to flee when they saw the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem. And by the way, they did that. And historians tell us not a single Christian perished in the siege of Jerusalem. Now, why is that important? It's important, brothers and sisters, because truth matters and love matters. And I'm afraid that amid all the rhetoric in many Christian circles right now, that both truth and love are being eviscerated. When Scripture is made to say something that it does not say, then people are misled, people are moved to unjustified fear or to misguided hope. I wonder how many failed predictions by prophecy preachers will have to occur before they stop this. How many false hopes will fade before congregations demand accurate exposition? But perhaps most importantly, how long will the church, particularly in the West, in Western-influenced places, how long will it continue to claim that Jews who reject Messiah are God's special people, while Muslims who reject Messiah or unbelievers under the wrath of God. The reality is, if you're a Jewish person and you reject Messiah, you're under the wrath of God. And over and over again, I've heard people saying, we need to pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then I hear the pastor break out into a prayer for, 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 for Israel. And they say something like this, your people 
I even heard one guy say, you're holy people. If you are not in Christ, you are not one of God's holy people. And that matters because truth matters. And we're giving false hope to people who are outside of Christ. The the message that people in Israel need to hear is not you're God's special people. It is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really because of this incoherent position that Christians broadbrush Palestinians as godless villains while embracing Christ-rejecting Jews as our brothers. And I've heard that this week. Pray for our brothers in Israel. They're our brothers if they're believers. I want to make this very clear, and I don't think anyone would have, I think everyone would agree with this. The actions of Hamas are evil. And they must be condemned. And yes, I do believe Israel has a right to defend herself. But Israel must also be held accountable for its evil deeds. When you read the whole history of the settling of Israel from 1948, and you look on the map and you see the Gaza Strip, 139 square miles and 2.1 million people who are there. And then you look at the West Bank and you look at the Golan Heights and you see all of this and there's a backstory to all of that. And it's not all been unjust, but there's been a lot of injustice there. But when you hear preachers like I heard this week say, God's holy people in God's holy land, I just want to scream. Because you're only God's holy people if you're in Christ. And that is not the holy land. It's a piece of real estate. It's important. Jesus told the woman in Samaria, the day was coming when Jerusalem would no longer be the place where Jews or anyone would have to come to worship. Why was that? Because once Christ died, there became a new temple. It was Christ. And through Jesus Christ, churches are are, are founded by those who are in Christ. There's no longer a geographic location, a special place you have to go to meet with God. Now the church of Christ is the dwelling place of God. When Jesus told the Samaritan woman that no one's going to come to Jerusalem, is not going to be the place Part of the reason for that was the temple was going to be destroyed. The old covenant would come to an end, like the book of Hebrews tells us. And the destruction of the people of the temple was God's final declaration. The old covenant has passed away. Therefore, we need to understand. And I'll come to this in a moment. Yes, we should pray for peace in that part of the world. But we need to think clearly. We need to think very clearly. Psalm 122, praying for the peace of Israel, has nothing to say, nothing to say, about a nation's foreign policy. And I heard this well-known preacher, who I have a lot of respect for in many ways, but when I heard him saying that the problem is the American presidential administrations, the last few of those, have not blessed Israel, and they failed in their foreign policy. You know, there might be a foreign policy that is legitimate about protecting Israel's right as a nation. I have no problem with that. But don't run to the Bible for that. It's a geopolitical issue. We need to be very, very careful about that. And we should not assume that God is on the side of Jerusalem 
and Israel. To speak of Israel as God's people, to pray and expect God to bless and protect Israel in all that she does because of a supposed special relationship with him is extremely wrong-headed. And I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else. When you listen to the rhetoric out there, there's a not-so-subtle proclamation of salvation by race rather than salvation by grace. If you're a Jew, there's salvation. The Bible, the gospel, applies to Jews and Gentiles as well and is only by the grace of God. Of course, Christians should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Christians should pray for the peace of Israel. Christians should pray for the peace of Gaza. Christians should pray for peace in Ukraine and in South Africa as well. We should pray for justice in all of these nations. But the only way to have lasting peace is for it to be grounded in righteousness. Paul said, after articulating the gospel for four chapters, he says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by grace, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even this psalm makes it very clear. Before he ever talks about peace in verse 6, he talks about judgment. The word is righteousness. There must be justice. There must be righteousness before there can be peace with God. What people need is to come to the point they realize that they're not righteous, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they live in Jerusalem or whether they live in Gaza. Come to the realization that they are sinners before a holy God, but that God had sent the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who secured our peace by living a sinless life and then dying on the cross in our place and experiencing the wrath of God. And we know that God accepted that sacrifice because he rose from the dead. And therefore, whether Jew or Gentile, whether Palestinian or whether Jewish, you can say, therefore, there is no condemnation. Brothers and sisters, when we pray about the war in Israel, we should be praying for the advancement of the gospel. We should pray for Christians to witness to Jesus Christ who came to save sinners through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his all-powerful resurrection and his now all-sufficient intercession. We're going to be praying for Christians. I was doing this afternoon, praying, God, use Christians in Gaza, use Christians in Israel to point people to the wrath of God that's to come. And in the midst of all of this horrible suffering, for people to come to the end of themselves knowing that this suffering is nothing compared the final wrath of God upon sinners. Pray for grace and tr truth, Christian congregation in Tel Aviv as they preach the gospel and demonstrate hope-filled peace before unbelievers. Pray for Palestinian Christians as they minister to the suffering and to the fearful. Pray that people living in that region, having experienced this expression of the wrath of God, will be moved to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who can alone deliver them from that ultimate day of wrath to come. In this way, let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May this war result in many coming to peace with God.
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, please be gracious to those in Gaza, to those in Israel. Think of families even now fleeing from Gaza or trying to. Lord, please send Christians across their paths. We pray for gospel advancement through this war. And Lord, throughout history, you've used war to introduce people to the Prince of Peace. We pray that you would do that. Bless our brothers and sisters in Israel. Bless our brothers and sisters in Christ in Israel. Bless our brothers and sisters in Christ in Gaza, in the Ukraine, and around the globe. And please, in all this atrocity, be glorified as you pour out your spirit and people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things for his sake. Amen. Amen.